Welcome to Bible Studies for Life Adults, the podcast. I'm Lynn Pryor, and my co-host is Chris Johnson. Chris, it's good to be with you for yet another podcast. It's a beautiful day in Middle Tennessee, Lynn, and it's good to be with you as we talk about Bible Studies for Life uh, content today. And, and you know, folks, I just got to tell you, I don't typically tell you this about Chris, but Chris serves as the content editor for the senior adult resources. Bible Studies for Life has age groups. We have a young adult. We have adult and senior adult. And Chris does an excellent job of overseeing the materials for our older audience. Well, thank um, you, Lynn. I think that may be the first time you've complimented me publicly. So thank you very much. <laughs> oh, well, you're welcome. <laughs> I will try to do better in the future. Well, joining Chris and I is Randy Fields. Randy wrote the study that we're in called The Church God Desires. Randy, thank you for taking the time to be with us again for another podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure. It's always good to uh, touch base. Yes. So if you weren't with us the first time Randy was with us, Randy is a pastor in Grass Valley, California. Uh, So Randy, just anything interesting about your background you want to tell us as a pastor? Um, well, I grew up thinking God wanted me to do worship ministry, and uh, he had other plans in mind. So I spent 20 years in student ministry with a little bit of worship in some of the churches. Um, never did I ever have on the tip of my tongue being the lead pastor. But again, um, you know, when you you surrender to the call to ministry, you surrender to the ministry, not the title that, that you serve underneath. And so the last 17 years now, I've been a lead pastor. And so it's been a, an incredible journey um, all throughout the state of California. And again, wouldn't change anything and in small and large churches alike. And um, I just love serving God's people. It's a great pleasure. So you guys go way back together, don't you? Yeah, yeah, back to the mid '90s, we think. Right, well, we were both in. I was in student ministry at Lifeway, and and uh, Randy was doing student work in California. Yeah, but uh, the, the, what I love, Randy, is you know here, Chris and I, we're in Middle Tennessee, and your approach to church, uh, not theology, but just church practice, is a little different out in California than what we're typically used to. So I yeah, appreciate it, the vantage, you, the, the vantage point you bring to this. Thanks. Yeah, church is definitely different in California. And, uh, you know, it's a different crowd each week, um, especially this last year has been quite interesting, but it's been interesting everywhere. But even prior to that, um, it, it's been different. Every city I've served in, it's always different. I'm in a rural church right now. And so that's uh, not a very common thing in California because there's not too many rural areas left. But it definitely <laughs> is a definitely is an interesting uh, place to serve. But I love it. Well, and it was as, as we were talking before the taping uh, here, this COVID-19 world we're living in now, uh, just the difference of how things in the state of California were handled, certainly for your church, as, as compared to what Chris and I have experienced in our own churches here in, in the Nashville area. Yeah. yeah, it's been a difficult year at best, but, you know, God's still on the throne and that's where we put our hope and our faith and our trust and we don't live by fear. So, you know, we continue to plow ahead and push ahead and there's still people that need to know Jesus. And that's the main goal. Good word. So Randy, have uh, a lot, lot of your stuff been online then as opposed to uh, uh, meeting, meeting life. Yeah. I was telling Lynn that we've been out of church the church facility more than we've been in it since this whole thing started. Uh, we did drive in church for well, when the weather t- finally turned good. We started the last Easter with drive in church after the whole six, seven week shutdown prior to that. Um, did that up until July. And then we moved inside and then things got shut down again. 
again and then we reopened for a month and then things got shut down again and so we uh, we just reopened our doors three weeks ago and uh, really don't have about half the people coming back at this point wow. the rest of them are staying online well, that's a way that we can pray for you, and I want to encourage those of you who are listening to the podcast to, uh, to pray for Randy and his church. I appreciate it. So as we've been talking about Randy's church, let's just kind of shift gears and let's talk about one of the specific churches in Revelation. As we're in this study called The Church God Desires, the study that Randy wrote, we're looking at the seven churches that Jesus had messages to. This particular week, we're going to be looking at the church of Thyatira. Thyatira. I'll just say it was a lot easier for me to talk about Ephesus, okay? Uh, now, what's well, I got to tell you one thing that's interesting to me about these seven churches is Randy's done a good job as you read the personal study guide material of kind of unpacking what these churches are like, or the, I should say the culture of the church. But to realize how close these churches geographically were to each other. I mean, they really yeah. were just a few miles, some, some of them just a few miles apart. Yeah. And that's why I think I likened it as the journey. You know, it's like a road trip, just going from one town to the next. And, you know, we had two miles is nothing in today's society, but it was quite a ways back then because they didn't have cars, that's right. horses, but, you know, that. So as we look at this particular church, what we want to focus on is what Jesus says to them about purity. And we're going to specifically decide that purity in all things impacts our service for Christ. Our purity, our purity uh, impacts our service for Christ. Let me, guys, let me just jump in. I'm, uh, this is Revelation 2. I'm going to read, uh, begin reading in verse 18. Write to the angel of the church at Thyatira. Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame, and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. So we have that pattern again where he says, I know your works. I know the things that you've done. And uh, I just want to point out, we're trying to do that in each session, that that's, that's the pattern that John used. Jesus would say, here's the things that you do well, and, and they're listed. Go ahead, Randy. And, and I think just prior to that, I would touch on briefly that he identifies himself, that the deity is identified to this church. And, and, you know, I think there's some things we can dig into that, but I think identifying himself kind of sets the platform as to whose standard they had to live up to. But he also, he also goes on and he says, I know that your last works are greater than your first, you know, it, church at Ephesus, you know, they had lost their first love. Obviously, this church was doing good stuff as well. They were doing works of service, and, and, and I'm assuming mission stuff was going on, but their their their, their works were, were progressively getting better, but there was still an issue going on, and I, he comes back, and yeah, he identifies himself as the son of God. He, he, he stresses that, you know, he identifies himself as a warrior who is like this fiery flame that looks to and fro, but he gets right to the heart of what is happening, and he says, I know that your last works are greater than your first. Yeah, he commended them just like he did in all the other churches in Revelation, for that matter, but it wasn't just uh, that they were having a casual expression of love, and I hit on that, that 
you know, that term love is just thrown around everywhere today and it's so sure. loosely defined. But this aspect of casual love, um, it, he hits on because it wasn't just that. It needed to be more than just this casual love and serving him, that there were things going on in the church that needed to be addressed. And it wasn't their works that needed to be addressed. It was the lack of something that needed to be addressed. And their, their, their motivation was their love. But it was, uh, you know, ultimately it was one of those things, I think, that could have been a sliding scale love um, that ultimately they, they took their eyes off of the prize kind of a thing, even though that's not what they were uh, rebuked for. But he told them their current works, they were good. There were good things they were doing. And I think that's an important thing that, you know, especially for churches today, churches do a lot of good stuff today. They have great works. They have great ministries. They, they're they serving their communities. They're sending people on missions around the world. And those are all good things. But as he goes on here in, in, in the later, later verses, he, he hits on something else. And that is that aspect of it, you're allowing false teaching to become a part of the church. So before we get into the false teaching, the, the, the rebuke here, one of the questions that we ask um, in our personal study guide is what are some things your church is known for in your community? Lynn and I have both served as transitional pastors and uh, we've both done some stuff with research with transformational church. And one of the questions that we ask uh, churches to, to ponder is what is your church known for? What do people, what do people in your community say about your church? If your church ceased to exist would the people in the community notice? And so these are some things that you can maybe talk about, about some of the things that your church is known for in the community or some things that your church does well. Some, some areas where uh, right now you're, you're really, you're really hitting on, on uh, uh, you're in the, you're in a groove, you're doing really well on these things. And so there is the opportunity for us in your, in our groups to talk about those things uh, about our church. Yeah, I did a, an interesting thing several years ago on that whole thing. We took a video camera into the community and asked that very question. So wow. what, what happened if New Covenant didn't exist? And our church has a, a unique ministry with a, a high school here in town. And so we interviewed the principal and secretary, but we interviewed some of the kids. And then we went beyond that into the community. And it, it really was an eye-opener to us that what our church was known for in the community and so, you know, that's an easy thing for any church to do, in my opinion. That's great. And as we see here, it's the church was committed for a lot of good things they were doing, but there is a big smudge on all that good works because of their lack of purity. Uh, and again, this is that reminder that our purity does affect our service. Let me look at verse 20. Let, let, let's kind of jump into this where he, he rebukes him. He says, but... I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. That's an interesting thing. You know, we, we don't offer sacrifices to idols. At least you know, we're not <laughs> eating meat in our churches today, but you know, the, the turn on that, I think there's some things that we've allowed into churches today that had no place there. And I think they've come in through 
false teachings. Um, it's interesting that, you know, he uses the term Jezebel, and I wrote that I'm not sure that that was her real name. I think it was referring to <laughs> the Old Testament Jezebel, and just, right. but it was the, the conditioning that she was bringing to the people in that particular church there, Thyatira, and, and was, you know, teaching them the wrong things, and they were buying into it. And how many times have we seen that? You know, whether it's a leader in a church or just a, a lay member in the church, they get in and they're like, yeah, this is good stuff. And then they start listening or, or watching or reading something else that is, is not biblical. And all of a sudden they're practicing those things in their own lives. And that's what was going on. They were allowing this woman to have that influence in that church when they needed to say, no, that's not what we believe. That's not what we're, we, we stand for. And so we definitely we definitely see a strong pull of culture uh, toward compromise. Culture is just right. really call that when you talk about um, the sexual issues, you know, the homosexuality, gender. Uh, we could talk politics too. How so many things are entering that are not that are causing us to compromise. Right. Uh, and we have got to be on guard of that. One of the uh, unspoken. Uh, aspects of church, it seems like, is this whole idea of, well, we don't want to say anything because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And um, it may be that that was what was going on at the I retire that they, well, she's saying this and well, we don't want to, we don't, we don't want to push against it. But I, I think that there's just a lot of that going on in the church today where we're unwilling to sometimes take hard stands or say things that are difficult because we don't know, we don't know how people are going to respond or react to what we say. And I think again, culture has conditioned us to that, you know, especially the whole social media aspect and everything there on, well, you can't say anything without getting in trouble because it's going to offend somebody. Um, I think that very well was a good point, Chris, that they that, that could have been what was going on. I don't want anything by so I'm just going to keep quiet. Well, there's a great sin in silence a lot of times when it comes to biblical standards. And that's what this church was called out for. Ultimately, was their sin of silence. They didn't stand up for what they knew was right, even though they were doing good stuff. Yeah, a friend of mine used to say silence uh, means acceptance. And uh, that can be a danger for churches today. Sure. Yeah. My wife says no answer is an answer. And that's what we see a lot of that. No answer yeah. is an answer. And the challenge is when we confront, when we need to make that confrontation, we still need to do it with that element of love Correct. and grace in how we approach the topic. Uh, and, that, and that's, that's key. It's, it's easy for me just to go off the rails and just, you know, really make, it becomes, a, becomes an attack. Uh, but I've got to approach it with the love and grace. To, in, in a sense of trying to be redemptive in this, to I don't want to just rebuke you, but I want to help you come back to that walk with Christ, come back to righteousness and holiness. Well, and a, a part of what we we need to probably be aware of in the church is even when we do exactly what you just described, Lynn, uh, we just need to be aware that sometimes there are uh, repercussions to those kind of decisions, even when we do them in the most loving and kind and gracious way. Um, if it's offensive to someone or we're challenging someone's lifestyle or uh, their patterns or their habits, uh, especially if it's not aligning with God's word and it moves away from purity, um, uh, we're, we're, 
there is the real possibility we're going to offend somebody and somebody's going to leave and somebody's going to be angry over this. People are going to disagree over whether it was done or should have been done or not. But there's a time where we just have to do what do the right thing and stand for for purity uh, and be willing to do that. And, and I think it's important to, for us to remember, too, that, you know, what Jesus ticked a whole lot of people off, too, because he stood up for what was right. <laughs> that's right. And so th- and that's where this letter ends up, uh, this letter to Thyatira, where he says, let me look. This is verse 25. Hold on to what you have until I come. This re- this call, this reminder to remain faithful. Uh, let me just let me continue reading here. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end. I will give him authority over the nations and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my father, I will also give him the morning star. So there's some of that dramatic uh, language. Uh, One of the things that, that stuck Catherine that you didn't read there was that uh, he referenced the so-called secrets of Satan. Well, we don't know exactly what that means, but one of the uh, explanations of it that's given in the, in the personal study guide is that this may refer to uh, the idea that in order to fully appreciate and understand God's grace, you have to experience the depths of sin. What a horrible thing to think and what a, to say, well, to really appreciate grace, you have to be a big sinner uh, or, you know, how, how depraved can you be? Um, we have to, we have to be careful about those things. I, you know, some of it comes back to even today you hear talk about, well, you know, it's cheap grace. Well, is that not very similar to this going on here? Well, I need to experience this so I can experience God's full grace. Well, no, you don't. You know, we got to understand that we're going to we're going to answer for what's going on. He told the church, you're going to answer for this one day. So you got to keep hanging on. What do you hang on to? You hang on to God's truth. Period. You don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from you. You hang on to God's truth because that's what's going to get you through. That's it. So we increase our love and our service. We don't compromise when it comes to moral um, issues of morality. And then that last cause we just saw stay faithful to the gospel, stay faithful to the end. There's a good message for our, our churches today in that. Very much so, especially with all the compromising we see going on. Sure. So then again, the question becomes, how is my church like the church at Thyatira? What are some ways that we have, uh, we, what are some positive things? What are some things where we, we probably need to pay attention to these issues of purity? Uh, where are those areas where we're tolerating Jezebel? Um, it, it, it could very well be a very challenging week of, uh, in this session to talk about these hard things, but I think healthy ultimately for us. Uh, thank you again, guys, for, for your participation in this. Randy, we're going to give you a chance to say a few words at the close, but uh, our, our pattern is to take a moment to share with you some things that, that you might not know that we have as resources for you at Lifeway, and then I've got a teaching tip. So, Lynn, you want to talk first? Yes, uh, we're all using what we call personal study guides in our in our groups. Uh, some of you may use the daily dis- discipleship guide, uh, but I just want you to be aware of, uh, in addition to those physical books that you may have, there is an option if you prefer an ebook uh, to have it on your phone, on a tablet, uh, something like that. They are available. 
uh, the simplest thing to do is just go to uh, lifeway.com slash uh, BSFL ebooks. Uh, you'll, you'll see a link there and you can see the, the, the books. It's not in the exact same format as the printed books, but it's just designed. You can use it on your phone. Uh, even the activities, all that's there, uh, but you can just have it with you at your phone. And the nice thing is you're sitting somewhere, uh, you're waiting, maybe you're waiting to pick up a child or something. You can pull out your phone. You could be looking at your material, looking at the study you've got coming up and uh, just kind of look at that that way. So anyway, that's available. Uh, eBooks, uh, check it out. Chris. All right. a, a couple of weeks ago, Lynn mentioned saving time at the end of the session to talk about application. So we can get really caught up in conversation and not get to the place where we talk about what does this mean for me? How does this work in my life? So he pointed out the live it out portion of, of the uh, books that are those simple kind of application things. But um, most of our books have a, a, a some type of engage activity where it's really geared to a, a person's personal response to something that has transpired or been, been taught uh, in the session. So it's, it's an opportunity for people to put pen to paper to think about how they can apply this particular principle or this particular point uh, to their own lives. And so I want, we want to encourage you to take time to make this a regular feature, a regular part um, of, of your group session so that people have a chance to personally think through, well, what does this mean for me and how can I apply this principle in my life? Thanks, Chris. Appreciate that. Randy, thank you again for, uh, it's always good for us to have a chance to hear directly from the author of, of, our, of our sessions, and you've done a great job. We want to give you a chance to say a, a closing word here. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. I've enjoyed it and uh, look forward to, to seeing what God's going to do with it. And again, I come back to just the emphasis you just hit on. Um, somebody once told me that, you know, Bible study is 10% Bible study, 90% application. It's what we do with it that ultimately is going to change our lives and change the, the lives of those around us. So um, that term living out really is a key phrase. Go and live it out. Do what God's told you to do. Don't be afraid. Don't live in fear. Live it out. Thank you for listening sure to, to this podcast, for being with us today. And I uh, hope that you'll plan on being with us next week as we uh, again engage with God's word through Bible Studies for Life podcast. 